lesson in no, geography. So. People need to know how to find me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> when you're, when the complaints start rolling in. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, did you ever, are you, uh, this is a dumb question. Did, did you know that your name is Tender Lion in Espanol? My name is what? Lion? Tender, like blanda is like soft or tender. In, oh, uh, really? In Spanish. Yeah. Oh, I did not. I knew Leo, Leon was lion yeah. in some, or lion-hearted or something like that. But yeah. the the blanda being tender really makes... I, I was wondering where my ferocity was. I was like, I'm fucking lion. What what is wrong with me? Yeah, you're the you're the soft and that's it. Yeah, you're the tender lion. Did I ever did I ever tell you I probably didn't. I used to have this bit when I was a kid or when I was a kid, when I was a co- comedian <laughs> uh performing all the time uh cuz my name last name is Blanda and it's an Italian last name and I and where it comes from, the name Blanda uh, is in Italy when like your grandmother is making pasta or something like that. And if it's not seasoned properly, it's a little blanda. Oh, wow. <laughs> so poorly seasoned. That took a long time to get to. I think tenderloin, you should go with the, uh, yeah, you're, you're in Louisiana. There's a lot of Spanish roots. I, I would just say that it's a Spanish name. Quit telling people it's a, it's Italian. <laughs> yeah. Italian. I got a little Greek in there there's a little bit of spanish but it's you know diluted i just recently found out that i'm irish i had no idea i would have guessed that you would have you seem irish <laughs> that's i mean I, i'm i'm happy with it you know if you're gonna find out your surprise yeah. ethnicity irish is a good one i think what did you think you were just a mutt i mean i still am a mutt but there's a lot more irish mm-hmm. in me than previously uh, acknowledge. I find that all sturdy white fellas are Irish. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it seems like every every handsome like uh, strong armed fella is Irish, it's and then every the uh, every greasy pot bellied moron is uh, Italian. <laughs> and I say that because I'm Italian. <laughs> Listeners, I can hear the radios clicking off. Right, right. I can use that. That's our word. I can use that word. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's hilarious uh yeah well i don't know i'm somewhere in the middle um i've definitely got the you know aspects of all that so what are, what are we talking about We're, i want to talk to you about a bunch of shit other than our um dubious okay ethnicities uh for one i i really did enjoy your book man high moon was uh was fun man. i just I, I had a really hard time not reading it I would wake up in the morning, go get coffee, piss, and then come sit back down and read. And uh, it just for a few days kind of drove my wife a little nuts. Like, geez, you're still reading this thing. But uh, it was <laughs> it was a lot of fun, man. I, I found myself laughing. I, I enjoyed a, a vampire going down on a lady who was having her cycle. That was a first for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, I can imagine. So tell me, tell me about your book, man. Uh, why, why High Moon? Why a Western, not Western, monster book? Um, I, I guess the the easiest way to answer is because uh, I didn't plan on writing a book 
Like I, I had had kind of the idea for the main character. He's just kind of been floating in my head for a little while. This idea of this cowboy who's also a vampire. Uh, but it started out as like a joke, like, uh, and I called him Dr. Cowboy Vampire Attorney at Law. And it was just this character in my head who was just like everything all at once. Um, it was just this stupid thing I just I that I just carried around with me for a long time. Um, and then after about a year of sitting home uh, during COVID with like no comedy going on and me not going anywhere uh, and feeling like I had nothing left to offer the world uh, or myself for creativity purposes, I uh, just sat down and started writing this story that was in my head about this uh, cowboy who was also a vampire and he's just trying to kind of deal with that. And as I sat down writing, I would just make myself write every day. It, it was by hand in a little notebook and I, you know, I picked up where I left off the day before. I didn't really worry too much about sentence structure. I tried to get like the best sentence I could out, but it was more like just trying to get this story out and I just committed to it. And, uh, and it, I didn't have a beginning, middle, and end when I sat down to write it. I just had this like uh, idea of this cowboy trying to do something in the West. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just kind of came out as I was writing it. And then the more drafts I went through, the more the story presented itself. And and then eventually it became what it is. I don't want to say who the characters are, but right, they right. eventually, within the first draft, they became recognizable characters from... Uh, you know, creative fiction that's already out in the world. Yeah. Um, but copyright free. So I'm, I'm not like stealing anybody's characters, but it is, a, um, they, they're, they're, they're my versions of established characters in the, uh, what's it called? The lexicon. Uh, what's that? Lexicon or, uh, uh, they're they're the universe where it's a uh, copyright free it's where you can uh, right right you, i forget the name of it oh it's a fair use type of thing fair use there yeah. you go like you don't after a certain amount of time yeah. i mean that's the same that's basically the same the story of the bible you know like a fan fiction um uh, you know a product of somebody's imagination using uh older stories Uh oh are right? we going there yeah, we just went right there, straight to the straight. To the <laughs> well, that's what that's what I keep telling people. Like, this is the new Bible. When I'm like trying to sell my book to people, I'm like, yeah, "Come yeah. on, folks! It's, it's basically the Bible. It's a it's a supreme. It's the Gnostic Gospels. <laughs> An act of fan fiction that uh, will set you free. I uh, yeah, I, I I liked it a lot, and I found myself um, really enjoying a lot of the reveal. Um. I listened to, um, oh, what's the guy Blazing Saddles? What's his, Mel Mel Brooks talk about Mel Brooks? Yeah, talk about writing and uh, and about story and his his whole thing is surprise, right? He's like that's that's the the key to it is you know when when the surprise gives you something nice, you know. And uh, I felt it's funny that you bring. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, it's all good. But I felt that. Uh, no, well, I was just saying, Mel book. Brooks is like a huge influence on me. And actually this story, too. I'm sure you, I, you probably saw some of this stuff. 
but like young Frankenstein and things like that are definitely, yeah. uh, yeah. there's a little bit of that stuff. And that's another thing about the book. I didn't write the book for anybody else, but myself, it was like the first time yeah. I created art just for me. Yeah. Like when I was doing stand up, I wrote jokes that I hoped other people would enjoy. You know, mm -hmm. when I was in a band, I wrote music that I wanted to like move people with as stupid as it sounds like, you know, I was, I wanted, I was posturing a little bit for other people. Whereas this book was like, I had nobody, uh, who I imagined as the audience for this book other than myself. Yeah. And there's like little Easter eggs in it from everything that I love plus Easter eggs that other people will enjoy, but there's stuff in there that's just like, it's just for me. Nice. And, uh, and I, and it made it, uh, I guess it made it a little bit more special to me too, that being that way. And I'm just really glad that if anybody enjoys it at all. So yeah, for that sure. means a lot that you like it. No, I, I, um, I want anybody like, and I'm not like a, um, I'm not a fan of horror, you know, like I, I, there's, there's no way I could just sit and watch a horror movie. I get too anxious. I hate it when people, characters die. You know, it just, it stresses mm -hmm. me out. Uh, and I, I would, I don't know that I'd normally read a lot of fiction books anymore. I, I can't think of the last one that I read, but it doesn't matter. Like this one was so, um, I don't know, it was just a fun story. It was just a, and I, I mean, it's using the horror genre, I guess, but in a very different way. And the, uh, man, it was surprising like the violence you describe a lot of violence in the book but it's done in a way that's um i don't know it's like the the violence of hunting or the violence of uh self-defense in a way i mean there is some brute brutality in it for sure but the the violence doesn't seem gratuitous or like you got too much joy out of writing it yeah, you can kind of tell when somebody's getting a little, getting too many kicks out of, uh, yeah, out of writing violent shit. And I, I did not pick that up from, from your thing. Like you're expressing some repressed rage or, you know, any of that sort of thing. Well, thank, thanks, man. That's the, I, I, I appreciate that a lot because, uh, I'm, I feel the same way you do about horror. I love, I mean, I love genre fiction like i love movies i love i love uh you know sci-fi i like horror but i'm not like a horror dude i'm not like one of those dudes who seeks out horror i haven't seen all the friday the 13th you know i haven't seen right. all the i don't have to see the new horror movies as they come out it's just not my thing like my my thing is like I love Indiana Jones. Like that's right. my favorite trilogy is the Indiana Jones trilogy. Yeah. One of my favorite movies in the whole world is big trouble in little China, Fuck yeah. which is like this amalgam of like comedy and horror and sci-fi and, and, uh, you know, uh, karate movies. And yeah. it's like, and that's kind of what I was going for, for the book was like a John Carpenter, like just a, a big stew of everything, but you have to put it somewhere. So I yeah. put it in the West and I thought that was kind of a neat, cause I loved Westerns too. Like my dad raised me on the good, the bad and the ugly for mm -hmm. a few dollars more like that. The man with no name trilogy. Mm -hmm. So all that's in there. The, and the fucking, you know, um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, like the interpretations of that, you know, uh, I had this little cassette 
that was like a book on tape of the original Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It came with a graphic novel that I never knew like the rest of the story where the monster goes off in the, in the um, wilderness and comes back and he's intelligent and, you know, and he's like actually hunting Dr. Frankenstein. I don't remember any of that from the old thirties movies and shit like oh, that. Yeah. Yeah, so was... that kind of stuff stuck with me. So it was just like this big high moon just became what I wanted to be like a 30,000 word book. just like a quick little cowboy vampire story turned into this like epic piece of literature that is includes like everything that i've ever loved uh in genre fiction so well it i don't know where why i answered the i don't know what the question was but. <laughs> i have that effect on on people wording questions extremely poorly so that you just have to say whatever's on your brain because whatever came out of mine is not intelligible as a question <laughs> but it, also, it, I'm not a soundbite guy either. Have you heard, <laughs> you know, like you have to like do a sound, like I can't, I can't make a decent soundbite to save my life unless I have like a bunch of parentheses and like uh, footnotes to that soundbite. <laughs> like I'm just not good at being I, concise. Ironically, you just did it. It's per what a perfect soundbite is you saying you're not good at doing soundbites. <laughs> but but it, it came across that you and you had a good time writing it is uh I, I think the thing i did i really did enjoy yeah. it are are you um i know you said you're you're not currently doing any stand-up or anything like that but do you do you feel like joke writing and writing your book do those share any kind of uh other than the fact that you're just writing literally doing the act of writing do they share any kind of common ground are you coming from a similar place with that um, I think just, I think like everything I write comes from, cause it comes from me. I feel like it comes from a similar place. Uh, but I definitely think that being a stand up comedian for a decade helped me to be able to, um, I guess, uh, concentrate the idea that I'm trying to get across, um, in as simple a terms as possible. Um, where I tried to do that with the book too, even though it's super long, like I, I wanted it to explain itself properly so that by the time you get to the reveal, you remember the setup. Like that's the big thing about delivering a joke. Like if you, if you deliver the punchline and it, it's too far away from the setup or the setup's been lost somewhere in there, um, you tend to lose the audience and I didn't want to lose the audience, especially with a, a book this long. Like it's real easy, even for me. Like I, I have a hard time reading and staying focused. Like my mind just goes off in different directions. If I read something that inspires me, my mind starts thinking about that. And even though my eyes are still glancing back and forth across the page and I'm turning pages, I'm not retaining any of that information. Um, so I wanted to keep it as, as uh, interesting to people as possible while still keeping the narrative there for them to, when the reveal comes in 10 pages or at the end of the book or whatever it is, wherever, whichever reveal it is, that they were set up for it, that they have all that information. And that at that moment, like a joke, it delivers, you know, they either laugh or they cry or it, or it hits them like a ton of bricks. Yeah. That's what I, that was my main focus. And that's the best way that I can, um, equate doing stand-up with writing 
pros, like, uh, is just trying to keep the narrative going so that when you get to the point that is the reveal or the punchline or whatever it is, that they remember where you started and why they got here. It's definitely, um, it's definitely punchy and, and trimmed up. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of fat, which that seems, it feels like joke writing, you know, where there's, you just can't have a bunch of filler shit. You got to keep it lean and, and get down to it. But there, yeah, there was something, um, I, I also have a hard time. I think our brains have been fucked up by our phones and, you know, just the nature of media. It's tougher to read now than it used to be. It's, that was my favorite thing to do before I had a genital adjacent supercomputer. I, I would just right. re read all the time. And uh, it was really great to dial back into that old feeling where you're in a story and you can't, there's no shortcut to it. You can't just lay down. You have to invest and open, hold a thing open and stare at it to get the story out. So uh, thanks for... Thanks for bringing me back to the world of reading for. Yeah. And did you find when you were writing that, uh, it was hard to stay focused, um, as you're like retelling stories from your life, because I'm coming up with a thing from like out of oblivion. So if I forget what I was trying to say, I, I still am trying, I have to come up with something else. Your, uh, your book, it comes from like, stories and i've written that way too but did you find it was hard to um hard to focus it no I, I i'm real lucky with with the whatever process i have for for writing it just uh when i sit down to do it i'm gone man i i don't i, I just am so in it everything else is gone if that makes sense there's no uh if i'm writing fiction if i'm writing a story from, you know, recounting something. There's mm -hmm. the only thing that distracts me is all the, you know, like having to piss or needing to do work or whatever, <laughs> but the actual just getting in it and doing it, there's no, I'm very fortunate that way. I'm, I'm, I've, I've realized how, um, lucky a thing that is to, to be focused. So and, you find yourself, you find yourself being able to slip into like a flow state pretty quickly or pretty easily. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, I didn't know what that was until someone else explained it to me. And I was like, oh yeah, I do that. Mm. I, I do that when I write. Cause I just, I, I go away, you know, and it's just like, I'll sometimes I'll, I'll sit down to write. And then an hour and a half, two hours later, I realize that I don't know what, what happened where all the time went. And I, I'm reading a story to myself for the first time, even though I just spent all that time writing it, I'm almost a little bit surprised by what, what's on the page. Oh, that's nice. I, I get the same thing, but as I'm writing it, like, I don't always know where I want to go. Mm. Uh, I might have like, uh, some rough directions that I'm just trying to, uh, navigate, but as I'm writing, I find a lot of stuff like, uh, especially in rewriting. And I know they say writing is rewriting, but I really do find for me, especially like it's being in the thick of the story where I find all the best bits, like for high moon example, as an example, like I had no, I had kind of an idea where it was supposed to end, but it didn't end like that. And I didn't realize some characters would get 
killed or, or fall in love or whatever it is. Like I didn't realize some of the stuff until I was like writing it. Like I'm going through the story and I'm starting to write that sentence and I have to like stop and like, cause it takes my breath away for a second. I'm like, Holy shit. I love this person. What's happening. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, and that is like my favorite part. My favorite part is me thinking I'm in control of this narrative and being surprised by it. Um, so that's the part I love about writing, but I wish I could, I wish I could disappear into it and then come out the end and be like, what did I just write? Oh, that was pretty fucking good. Well, sometimes, you know, like I say that, um, it's kind of the opposite experience for me than, than I hear about with, with other writers. They'll say, you know, I like having written, not writing. It's, it's the opposite for me. I really like the writing it's having written. So when I come out of that state and I go back and read it, I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, sometimes I, but that, that's more of like a self-loathing, self-doubt issue than it is a, uh, you know, it's my own personal problem than it is necessarily something that may or may not be wrong with the writing. Sometimes you feel like you've just, you've skated over this thing and it was great. It's beautiful experience. And you look back at it and it's like, oh man, that was it's actually really clumsy and weird and I've got a lot of work to do here. Yeah. But that's the, that's the rewriting part. I, I feel the same way too. I get, I live with, uh, imposter syndrome constantly. Mm. So I, I'm also, I also will post something like whether it be a blog or something like that and immediately find, uh, you know, uh, spelling errors and, and like clunky sentences and, and then have to go and re write that shit but yeah i feel like that's part of it like i feel like f sucking at it is part of the process like oh, you yeah. have to like you have to suck at it. even however i don't know i don't know what, what people who've written 10 15 20 stephen king 100 books kind of thing i don't know how they feel while they're writing or after they're writing or during the whole process but for me there is a big chunk of it where I'm like, oh, you should not be writing. You're not talented. This isn't very good. Yeah. Man. And then I have to like, I have to keep going through that. Like that's part of my process is 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 the self doubt and the loathing of of what I've created. Yeah. Yeah. I'm having to be real uh, mindful of that and careful because I'm you know I've shared now so much of of this whatever you know writing and this thing. And people, uh, so far, people have really haven't gotten any of the reviews that I know are coming, you know, the harsh ones where someone just hated it or had a problem with it. But um, I have to keep that that self-critical thing out of everybody else's ear, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, you don't put it in the story or you don't put it in the essay. That's how I feel. Like, that's just a that's just the party pooper. Yeah. at the fucking you know at the kegger who's just sitting in the corner talking about how much he hates himself nobody else should ever see that but i feel like for me part of my process alone in the with just my laptop or a pen and paper is that i or reading back on shit is that it's not very good you should quit you're not good at this i don't know why you're doing this and pushing through that is gets me to the places where I'm actually proud of the work that I put out. Yeah. So the the thing that I'm trying to keep out 
is uh, after the fact, you know, while uh, while people are, are having their experience with what, what whatever I've written the book or whatever, and to not, you know, feel like, oh, God, but that actually sucked or any of that type of thing. But what I have to um, what I have to reckon with now, I'm, I'm recording the audio book. So I'm reading this stuff out loud, which I I don't know. If, do you do that? Do you read to yourself when you after you've written? Do you read it out loud to make sure that it works? Um, I, I, it's a technique that I was told that I should apply to my writing. Um, but I hate reading aloud. Mm. Um, so I do, I do try to a little to myself, but it's more of just like, it's a, it's like a, um, uh, I guess it's a bunch of things together. I read it silently. I kind of try and read it aloud and then I listen to like the 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 e-reader kind of thing um read it to me mm -hmm. and that's how i feel like i get the best version of it is having that little robot voice read this sentence back to me yeah and then i can hear because it's robotic there's no inflection on anything yeah. so i can hear where the 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 clunkiness it's already a clunky sentence because it's like you were born in the dead and i'll hear if there's an extra word in there that doesn't mm -hmm. fit or if it's a little so that's where i feel like i get the most um uh editing accompaniment or out loud accompaniment i don't know what i'm trying to say well the you know, rereading of it yeah i i, I use that constantly i read i also out, don't um, like speaking i'd rather write it down because i'm not eloquent if i don't if i'm not on a stage mm. telling a joke that i know has a beginning middle and end starting a thought following it through and then finishing it is not my strong suit sure so i apologize to all the listeners out there no right don't now. don't sweat it I, I i i've struggled with the same thing but I, I i do i read out loud as i'm right you know after i've written and as I'm editing and stuff, I'll read the whole story through because I know, especially for this, you know, I, for the podcast and for now doing this audiobook, this was always in mind, you know, that that, that would be a thing. And I felt like I did an okay job. I whittled a lot of stuff because of the way it was read out loud. But now, you know, I'm sitting in a booth and reading into a microphone and I'm just hating myself more and more for every... <laughs> every long sentence every thing that i stumble and you know i make these little uh, i have a little like a little metal caiman like a little alligator you know painted mm -hmm. in all these kind of like uh indigenous colors i think we got it somewhere in i don't know el salvador or something anyway it makes a little clicking noise like this high metallic click so that i know i've made a mistake you know when i'm looking at the when i'm doing my editing later and looking at the waveform and when I'm finished with a, you know, a story and I hit save and I look at the thing, it just looks like, like some sort of electric jitterbug footprint. I mean, just, just these, because <laughs> of all the mistakes, a million clicks across the thing. Like, oh my, it's so daunting to realize how much editing I have to do after each one, you know, just because I'm just stumbling over these crazily worded and I put in you know, alliteration and I do this weird stuff. It's fun to write. And, you know, when I'm, I guess when I'm, when I'm reading it the first time, I don't realize how hard it's going to be to do later. 
I don't know. Yes. Drive, that's why I think mess. that's another reason I don't like reading aloud because I don't feel like my speaking voice is um, the same as my writing voice. And that may be just because of lack of uh, experience. I don't know how to write properly in my speaking voice, but my speaking voice is a lot more loosey-goosey slang, whereas when I'm trying to write, if I write in that voice, and I have, a, a little bit of High Moon was kind of a little bit more folksy, and the biggest editorial notes I got from everybody who read it was like, hey, why don't you save some of that for just like the um, dialogue? Because it it's distracting when you're trying to read the prose part of it. So I was like, okay. And that's that's when I was like, okay, maybe I don't need to write specifically in my speaking voice. Yeah. But then when it came time, when somebody's like, hey, make sure you read back your stuff aloud because that's a good way to edit it. When I was doing that, I ran into the same problems that I think you're finding too is that the sentences are too long and then the the clauses that I add are just like, they're just too wordy and then it's uh, it just becomes clunky aloud whereas when i'm reading it it doesn't feel clunky like it feels like i'm explaining things but well yours so i, I mean, think that's another reason i don't like reading aloud and and in high moon there's multiple characters you know you've got these very distinct i mean they're, they're characters and they're uh the characters in the sense that they are you know individuals in a story but they're also characters i mean they're very distinct kind of um, beings who have their own accents and their own ways of speaking and so that's got to be tough when you're when you're trying to do these when you're reading back to yourself and you've got to jump through accents and different you know uh you know an angry person or someone making fun of somebody or someone about to kill someone (laughs) that's got to be tough to do I think actually the accented characters were much easier for me because they're all based on like movie accents. You know, it's not like I'm like a dialogue guy. Like uh, I just heard like, like uh, I have one character who's kind of like a Cockney. um, Mm -hmm. He speaks in a Cockney accent, but most of his accent in my mind is coming from like, have you ever seen the commitments? Yeah. Uh yeah. from like the 90s is the story about this Irish yeah. uh, you know soul band. Like a lot of and some of like his little bits of dialogue are little chunks of that like uh so I have he's speaking in this like amalgam of of like this British European Irish mm-hmm. kind of cockney slang. So so I hear him distinctly because I've heard that in movies that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, but like after a while they become this, this character. And I think those are the easiest for me. Cause those are the ones that I'm like, I have to like keep sounding out and I have to like keep saying them over and over again. Cause I'm like, uh, I just like the way they feel in my mouth. I like make, I like doing a terrible Irish accent or a terrible <laughs> English accent. It's just one of my favorite things to do. Yep. So those are the most fun for me. Whereas like the guy who's like being brooding and like really like, he's not, He's not speaking uh, with an accent, but he's speaking with uh, a, a an intent, mm-hmm. maybe that or or uh, something an actor can pull off that may that I can't pull off. You know, 
Yeah. Even though it's in the book. Um, whereas the accent's fun. The accent's, that's where all the, the fucking meat of his uh, yeah. personality is in that point. So. For sure. For sure. Dialects are tough, man. Dialects are tough. Yeah, I've, I've realized, uh, I don't know, it's maybe 20 plus years ago that when I'm angry, yeah, everybody's got like an inner monologue, I think. I mean, I hope so. I hope it's not just me. But, you know, there's a voice in your head, discursive idiot talking over moments of your life. But I, I found out that when I'm extremely angry, for some reason, it's a Scottish person in my brain. Okay. I, I don't know why, but anytime I've ever been really, really pissed off, like if I'm doing some carpentry project and I break a thing or, you know, whatever, it's always, always the Scottish person in there, which is a little you want, unsettling. You want to do a little bit for the audience? Not particularly, but there was the first time I realized that I was I was on a mountain. I was hiking, uh, and we'd lost the trail. It was like me and several other people. So, and we knew that on the other side of the mountain was Palm Springs. Like you could you could see the desert if you just got over this mountain and started to go down. You'd be out of the snow. You know, uh, but we just couldn't find the trail. It was getting late. Fuck. So we set. We just find this place and set up camp. And my tent arrangement was uh, a hammock, like a hammock with bug netting and a rain fly. And it's just pouring snow. I'm just, just crazy flurry. And uh, my fingers are freezing and I'm having a hard time getting this, this the, the knot or the lashing on the uh, hammock to stay. And I keep getting in and it sinks. My ass is touching the ground, which... Mm-hmm. It is a much better situation if you're sleeping in freezing temperatures to be on the ground and have like air under your ass. But I was too, also too dumb to realize that. And for whatever reason, like I kept on, I was getting so mad. I wanted to eat and just frustrated. And in my head, I'm like cussing and swearing. And I suddenly realized it was a Scottish guy saying, I didn't buy a fucking hammock to sleep on the fucking ground. (laughs) What? Where is that? Why? Why is that? I don't think I'm Scottish. I didn't know I was Irish. I'm pretty sure I'm not Scottish. But just came out of goddamn nowhere. Like, man, does this mean like I'm ill? Do I have like some sort of pathological Scottish thing? This (laughs) like sudden Scottish syndrome? Is that a... Is that a thing? It could be. There's all kinds of crazy brain shit out there. Yeah. I do the same thing though, man. Like I, mine's mostly quotes from movies though, but whenever something's like loud or like I hear a loud banging or somebody's like being too loud, I do the, from the commitments. I'm like, Oi, Ginger, shut the fuck up. You know, (laughs) I just love, I love the way that, that fucking, I love it. The way it feels in my mouth. I love the way, uh, just the, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about the the uh, an Irish or British swearing that uh, just it drives me mad. I love it. It's it's one of my favorite ways to express myself, and I wish I was better yeah. at accents. Your Scottish accent was really good, though. That, that's generous of you to say, because a lot of people go into fat bastard from uh, Austin Powers. Yeah, you know, yeah, a Scottish accent. Right. Yours was yours was pretty solid. <laughs> well, I hear it often enough. Uh, I feel, you know, some, some languages just automatically sound angry to my white boy ears. 
Like I used to have these, uh, I had Vietnamese neighbors when I lived in Memphis and they just, they always sounded angry to me. And I, I, I remember asking one day, I was like, what, what's going on over there? What'd you, what'd your kids do? And <laughs> mom and dad were like, what do you mean? I was like, what? I heard you yelling at them this morning. What were they doing? Like, we weren't yelling. They didn't do anything. What do you mean? And I was like, well, God, I'm so sorry. I just, I thought like you guys were upset. It sounded like you're angry. Like, no, we're just telling them goodbye and, you know, don't forget your backpack. And it was just totally benign, non-upset shit. I was like, oh my God, that is me projecting whatever, I, you know, my own cultural bias onto your language. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. Jesus, you're like... No, I think my Italian family doesn't speak to each other. They like yell. You know, like when you're when it's Thanksgiving dinner, if you're if everybody's in the kitchen, like getting food or like it's so loud mm. and they're not angry with each other. They just everybody yells. Nobody fucking talks right. like they're inside. Right. They all scream at each other. Uh, <laughs> and for most of my like uh, significant others or people that I've brought to family dinners and stuff like that it's it's jarring they're like what the are they angry are they mad at each other are they fighting i'm like no they're just fucking italian yeah you know yeah it's so funny man voices i I, i'm probably a little obsessed with with voices and how people talk and what they how they express themselves but it's kind of an amazing thing that it ever works that we've agreed upon all this stuff and that we can communicate across languages and across cultures. D- do you speak any other languages? Uh, no, I, I can, uh, I took Spanish for like six, seven years nice. in school. And I don't remember a, a fucking, you know, anything past the basics. Hello, goodbye, count to 10. Um, I took French for a year and I don't, I don't remember a single word. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I don't have the capacity for it or just at the time I didn't give a shit, but, uh, yeah, I just, and the thought of trying to learn another language, I'm like, I can't even speak English that well. I don't deserve to learn a different language. Well, the trick is living, living where you kind of have to use it. And then suddenly you realize, oh yeah, I, I can do this. We, we went through a similar thing. We, we lived, uh, we traveled through, uh, Mexico and Central America for about a year. And we took like, I think in total, maybe about a month worth of classes, you know, um, just in different places along our trip, we would stop and take some classes. And I still, I feel like I can speak Spanish. I'm sure I sound, I I know I sound like an idiot. Kind of like a child who's confused maybe, but I, Mm -hmm. I can get, you know, I can make myself understood. And most importantly, I can make people laugh. And not uh, specifically, not just at me, you know, yeah. um, which that's, that's a big part of how I get laughs in English, but, uh, I can actually, you know, I can tell a joke or, or make somebody laugh in some sort of contextual way in Spanish. And it, I, I felt like you did. It's like, there's no way I can learn another language. I'm too dumb or I'm too whatever, but being in it every day and speaking it and hearing people, you know, say shit to you and you understand what they're what they're about and what, you know, you know, the context. So, you know, the words just fall into place. It's just, you have to pick it up or, 
And, but I also met plenty of people who live down there, the, you know, American expats who don't know anything. They, you know, they just don't give a shit. You know, they, yeah. they'll point and grunt and complain. And, uh, so I don't know, but it is certainly possible even at our advanced ages to, uh, to learn new languages, especially if you're curious about people and, and give a shit about communicating with them. I think you're you're like I, me. You're you're just desperate enough for laughs that you would for sure find a way to make people laugh in another language. I think if I if I was more well traveled, and and uh, I think I would definitely have a, a desire. Uh, I, I I let me let me let me amend that. I do. I have wanted to learn, especially Spanish, because, I, I, you know, I worked in kitchens and shit like that. And so I learned a lot of like, you know, pigeon Spanish, you know, mm -hmm. I got I, enough to get by and and but I wanted to be able to converse with them more. But then I, now I don't have a reason at this point to learn it. And I'm a lazy person, so I don't <laughs> try to put anything new on my plate. Um Man, I I say I don't even like me at this point. Yeah. I, you know what, folks? You shouldn't judge people by the words that they say and the actions that they do. Yeah. You know, just judge them by the, how you feel in the moment. Yeah. Just look. I'm, I'm a pretty decent guy. I'm a nice person. I like people from other cultures, and I like their cultures, and uh, I want to learn about their cultures, but I haven't yet, and I will, and I'm sorry. One, um, I'll tell you a quick story. We were in, um, uh, I think we were in El, yeah, we were in El Salvador and, uh, we were on this like really cool little beach. That means the Salvador. It does. It does. Mm -hmm. so that guy, a little bit owned by a guy named Salvador. Um, so we're, we're hanging out on this beach. Uh, like our van was parked at this really cool little spot. And, uh, this, this woman had a pupusa stand that uh it was like her and her family kind of ran it but and we'd gone there for lunch that day it was fucking awesome and like she had a couple kids working for her and she was really sweet so we're we're sitting eating and like i'm gonna come back here for dinner we come back and it's busy there's like a ton of people and she's by herself like she's there's no one to help her like where's all their asked her, like where's all your kids it's like ah they went home it's like you're just doing this by yourself like, yeah, like, well, and I noticed this about a lot of Latin culture. If you ask somebody if they need help, you know, here in the U.S., like, hey, man, do you want some help? People are like, no, I'm fine. You know, like, uh, but she was like, yeah, you can help me. Sure. I was like, great. I'll wash dishes. I'll do whatever. You know, I can work in a kitchen. So she gave me a goddamn apron and I went back. It's like this outdoor, you know, open area that there's no like you know room so i'm just you know this huge white boy in her kitchen washing dishes she had me chopping stuff doing prep running food and uh my grasp on the language is not great you know like i'm just i'm okay you know but and i realized that my my spanish is way worse than a lot of the english that i've heard from guys that i've worked with uh, in restaurants and on construction sites and things like that. And I had this whole new yeah. appreciation for how bold and awesome those people are that, that locate from one country to another and just dive in and get to work. 
even though they don't fully grasp oh, the language. I had it, absolutely, it, yeah. Even though mine was just like a, a little snippet of a you know this extended vacation, basically, you know, but just being in that in their shoes for a second and realizing, oh my god, these guys. I've always appreciated them, but how much more awesome are these men and women that I've worked with in the past now that I have a tiny understanding? It just blows my mind. I I, I don't know if anybody ever is out there and they're dealing with someone in their country who doesn't quite speak the language. If you even get the slightest hint of frustration with them, feel free to just go fuck yourself immediately. <laughs> just, yeah, dude, my kids, so hard. like my kids are so lucky that the United States is not a war zone or a fucking, or that we, that I have to, you know, gather us up and, and move us to a different country and, for a better life for them, they are so lucky that that because it wouldn't happen. It, I would just be like, you know what, you guys have to enlist in the war because we're not moving. Yeah, <laughs> dad's not learning a new language. I'm not going to go from being a doctor to uh, whatever they're going to let me be in this new country. Yeah, so you got not that I'm a doctor now, but you get what I'm saying. I'm just yeah. like, you guys just have to, you guys have to enlist and fight for the president because that's what we're doing that's what we're doing that's the family we are yeah I, i'm not leaving to to go and you guys stay here you know that's that's a lot of it really. a lot of the guys that i work yeah. with now here i mean I, I um i do all these goofball construction projects and i need help and uh i've become kind of friends with these dudes that i just met who are on the side of the road looking for work and um you know they t I, I always at some point in the first day like get them and they're they're so open man they're willing to talk about all this stuff and uh they'll tell me their story like how did you get here what you know blah 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 like this one dude um filmer from honduras who told me this harrowing story of getting from honduras to here and uh you know he lives in a house with like six other dudes he eats mm -hmm. um like eggs beans and maybe sometimes some cheese but mostly rice for you know sometimes two three meals a day and just saves all his money and sends as much as he possibly can back to honduras to help his kids like they've when he left he had you know two little kids and a dog and he's been gone for eight years so the dog has died and he loved this dog he's still got photos of it and he shows me you know and his kids are you know they're like i don't know like 13 and you know they were little kids like little he hasn't seen any of it you know he's not seen his children oh. in eight years like fucking hell yeah so i just i don't think i'm made of anything that strong and maybe it's because i was born in the united states to you know uh, you know i didn't have to fight for meals and um we weren't constantly being uh threatened by cartel or anything like that that i just grew up soft and sad the soft lion <laughs> you know well like, they, they, i mean i'm sure i don't know that this guy's necessarily just made of anything different it's just you know his circumstances just put him in this place and that you know that's just the 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 move that's just what you do you know i'm sure if i mean well i'm not sure maybe maybe you would just abandon ship but you you find a way, you know, I mean, if your kid was desperately needing something, the only way you could do it was to do some crazy, you know, abnormally hard thing, you'd probably do it. 
I got I got faith in you, man. I, I'm so cowardly. I didn't even have the children in the first place. I I mean I don't think that's a cowardly thing. That's a that's a extremely selfish thing. Sorry, wrong word. Do you think so? Oh hell yeah. My wife and I call it being uh, selfish. Like we'll be very kind and giving to other people, but we're extremely selfish. And uh, we knew early on we could either be married or have children. And we, we liked each other enough where we, we've stuck with marriage. Yeah. Just, I don't think we could do both. It's not easy, but Oof. it's, you know, it's, it's not something for everybody either. That's a thing that I think is like, I never pictured myself having kids. Uh, and when I had kids, I had to learn how to be a good parent because I was, I think I was selfish in a way that even that you're not considering yourself that way. Like I, I was, I just, I needed to learn how to be a, a good dad. And I was lucky to have a partner who was patient enough with me and who was like, uh, blunt enough with me to like hold up a mirror and be like hey you know what kind of guy you think you are you're not that kind of guy you're the this kind of guy <laughs> and if you want to be a good dad then you have to fix some of this shit mm-hmm. um and i was lucky to have that because i loved my kids that that's something that's just and i don't feel like every parent has that feeling but i was lucky enough that when when I saw my daughter for the first time, you know, in those first few seconds of her life on this plane of existence, like I felt it, dude, like it, my heart like melted, my heart exploded, it fucking evaporated, it sucked back into itself. Anything that could happen to your heart happened in that moment. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that happens for everybody. I don't think that's innate, um, but it did happen for me and I was lucky for that, but I still had to learn how to be a good parent which is not fun or easy and it's not a um i don't want to say it's a selfless act either um uh, it's just it's just hard to do and it's just something that you have to do if you want to be a good parent right some people don't want to be a good parent and so they don't put in the effort and i can understand absolutely some be somebody being self-aware enough to be like you know what I don't think kids is going to make my life better. And I definitely know that I'm not going to make some child's life better. But what I can do for the world and for myself is be the best person that I can be and be as giving and as loving and as uh, um, honest and, and true of a human being as I can be in this world. And I don't think having kids or not having kids has anything to do with that. And I had to learn how to be not only that person, that, that person who is honest and true and good and, and, and uh, always tries to choose the right thing to do. I had to do that and learn how to be a good parent at the same time. Like I had to drop my selfishness and, and, and learn all these new skill set. Um, and it sucked and it was hard. And, um, and I, I didn't like, knowing things about myself that uh i guess i kind of i always considered myself self-aware but self-aware with like a a mirror that kind of showed me all the things that i wanted to see you Mm -hmm. know it wasn't a true like 
one for one, this is what you actually are until I have the partner that I have. And we had our kid and, um, and I don't know why I'm going and all that. That seems more personal. No, it's all right. It's all right. This podcast. You know what I had to do? What's that? I, I, I had to sit on a couch with a, uh, several bags of frozen peas on my balls for a weekend. And that was it. Several what on your balls? That's the post <laughs> bags of frozen peas. I had a vasectomy and that's the, uh, the recovery period requires icing your testicles for a weekend. And then you're, that's okay. it. That's the sacrifice that I was willing to make. That, that when, is, <laughs> when did you make that? How old were you? Uh, too damn old man i've rolled the fucking dice for way too long uh i did that in my like mid 30s yeah yeah i got a vasectomy well that's when i had kids was like my early early 30s 31 was the first one proudly vasectomy and i still was like not ready yeah yeah it's like you're never ready for that so i don't and i would i don't think i'd ever made the decision that you made without someone else being like, hey, you need to make a good decision. <laughs> and this is the decision we need to make. So I think that's that's a um uh that's a good thing. That's a that's a uh commendable thing to make that decision and to like act on that. I'm just fucking spreading seed. I'm Johnny Appleseed out here. I'll I'll tell you a very, very quick uh vasectomy story. Okay. So I'd I'd resisted it for too long because I was worried about how much it would cost. It just seemed like, you know, a big deal procedure. And then, uh, I heard that Planned Parenthood did them. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, well, fuck. They can't, you know, how expensive it's not like I'm getting a nose job or something, you know, it's Planned Parenthood. So I go to Planned Parenthood, you know, make the appointment, get everything, had the procedure, which was, you know, it's pretty, uh, it's less involved in like having a tooth pulled. It's way more embarrassing, you know, but uh, it's less involved than some dental procedures. And uh, it, I mean, it felt like, I mean, it's got to be the exact same thing a dog goes through for the most part when they spay and neuter a, a dog. But anyway, so I, I keep waiting for this bill to show up. And at no point have I ever, and this is many years ago that this happened, I've never been billed for it. I got a free, just absolutely free vasectomy from uh, Planned Parenthood. And it made me, I'm so like, uh, whatever, insecure. <laughs> this was like, did they, do they have like a database of people that they want out of the gym? Yeah, they're like, they're like, don't worry about Andrew. We got you on this one, bud. Okay, we don't need any more Andrews running around here. We're gonna keep your degenerate seed out of the pool. Yeah, I just, I got this, uh, I got this free vasectomy <laughs> that, you know, even the gift made me self-conscious in, in a way. Anyway, that's my vasectomy story. Was it, uh, was it uh, painful? Uh, God, it reminds me of that. Do you remember that old, it's probably a, not a very nice joke, uh, Abdul's painless camel castration. Do you remember that joke? The what? No. <laughs> what is it? Uh, it's this dumb joke where a guy takes his camel to, to this place. He loves his camel. He asks this guy to, to castrate it. He's like, you sure it's painless? He's like, yeah, yeah. And he ends up like just slamming the, he like jams a red hot poker up the camel's ass. 
camera rears back and he slams its balls in between two bricks. Camel doubles over in pain. The guy's like, man, you, I thought you said it was painless. He's like, well, I mean, unless you get your bums caught between the bricks. Anyway, <laughs> it's a fucking stupid joke. Anyway, the uh, yeah, it was it was relatively painless. I mean, they you know they numb you up. Um, but the the most this is so this is such like a dude. I hate to even admit this, but like a dude thing. The the nurse, there was a, like a doctor and a nurse who did the thing. And the nurse was extremely uh-huh. attractive. Like she's this yeah. tall, like, you know, very Latin, just this gorgeous woman, right? And uh, you go into this room, this little procedure room, and it's, of course, cold. And so <laughs> she does not care about your dick. She just has seen many, many dicks, many, many vaginas, does not care. It's a, just a mechanical thing. But, you know, yeah. when you're a man and it's cold, your penis is especially small <laughs> just like hey for some of us when well, even when it's not cold All right you know and she has don't to deal, leave any know, of like, those fellas out she had to tape it she had to t- pull my dick to the side and like tape it to my leg and it's like this beautiful woman and this very casual doctor just uh-huh. chatting it just shucking it up like we're having coffee just talking uh-huh. to me and this nurse who's not saying anything just like going through the motions tapes like with with like the same it didn't even look like medical tape it just looked like scotch tape from the dude's uh-huh. desk or something it's like taped to the side of my leg and then they do the procedure i imagine if they needed to tape the thing down you're not doing too bad out there andrew you know what i mean like <laughs> well, it wasn't it was it was for their own it was crossing eyes and dotting t's it wasn't like it was a problem you say that but they're like you know? uh <laughs> just one guy's like uh coming in behind you he's like hey you're gonna you're gonna need the tape and he's like no nah, man we don't need the tape for this one we got it <laughs> we don't need the tape. <laughs> we got it. but i i insisted on watching i wanted to see it Ugh. go down um <laughs> uh, yeah i watched them do it and they just they make a cut they find the vast deference and they burn them they like cauterize the thing that would otherwise deliver um unwanted pregnancies and um and they so they stuff it back in there and sew you up. This is a this is probably a medical question. I don't I don't know if you have the answer to this, but uh, I'm definitely the guy to ask medical questions. <laughs> okay, uh, what happens to all this the sperm? They just they just live in there forever. Yeah, you. Uh, I basically walk around with like a. Uh, Do they die off? No, I've got like a grapefruit in my pants at all times. Just of it just backs up in you. It just keeps filling up <laughs> and you got to go have it drained every few years. No, when it's full, you die. That's how you know how many days. You oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like having a countdown clock in this, the shape of a grapefruit. It's really kind of a nice feature. Oh. No, I actually have no idea what happens. It's like a miracle. I, I think I knew at one point I asked that exact same question. And I think the answering was so, uh-huh. the answer was like not very spectacular. Yeah. And you're like magic. Got it. Yep. Got it. Got it. Don't need to, don't need to remember this. Yeah. They actually come out in your sweat. <laughs> yeah, don't let, don't let ovulating women uh, drink after you or touch your you sweaty skin. Just, uh, <laughs> just let it. Yeah. Go take a shower. Yeah. No, it was, uh, 
God, I'm sorry that we're even talking about this. I, I have, no, um, this is the fil- I, filtration. I, I much prefer this than being asked direct questions about anything I do or make. <laughs> Good. Well, I, I could I'm talk about your balls all babies. day. <laughs> <laughs> Whew. Wow. Anyhow, uh, um, so high moon, you know, high moon vampires in the mm-hmm. old west. I uh, I really hope you do a follow up. Um, you hinted at it at at one point. Uh, do you have any any ambition to do that? Uh, yeah, I have a I have a couple of stories. I have one. So I have the the kind of the layout for the second and third one, just kind of a uh, just floating around in my brain. Uh, the site where they're like time jumps, whereas this one took place in the West. The next one is going to take place in New Orleans, uh, a majority of the story in New Orleans during uh, the Axeman murders. That's going to I'm going to kind of tie that historical uh, thing cool. in there, which is right before the roaring 20s. So I'm kind of sprinkling a little bit of you know gatsby-esque flapper kind of stuff in there um but as i was as i started writing the second one and i didn't get very far this story kind of came to me that's like picks up immediately after the first one so i wrote that out the first draft of that which is I'd hope to be like a little novella, but if I put it out, that would definitely have to be the sequel, even though I don't want it to be the sequel. I'd kind of like it to be uh, like a half sequel, I guess, almost, because I, I really want the time jump between the first, the second, and the third one. Um, yeah. So uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with it right now. I've been writing, a, I have a few stories, and I definitely didn't want to do a, a sequel to High Moon as my next released novel um but i don't know what my next release will be i have a few stories that are in different uh different uh they're they're ready at different levels i can't think of any words right now i don't know why various states of readiness various states of readiness yes that is the per can we talk about your balls some more like i know i can get into that you know i can I can I can really you know just uh, fucking get my hands around it, you know, that. Whereas I can't my own yeah. shit. I just feel so I feel so um, <laughs> inept at explaining myself and what I do. Uh, um, I try to write every day, and I try and I'm I really want to release another novel before the 2024, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I also kind of wanted to release it. Um, through a real publisher rather than having to uh, self-publish again. But I don't know if that's going to happen either. So I just have to wait and see. Yeah, you you told me you wrote, you did something I wish I had done. You wrote to a, a, a number of authors that you quite like. And can you tell me what David Sedaris, uh, that, that story? Yeah, yeah. I didn't, uh, I haven't told anybody what he told me, but I did, I did write him and I got a, I got a nice, uh, postcard from him like a handwritten postcard that's even got like he messed up some words and he scratched them out and 
rewrote them and stuff like that. So nice. Um, yeah, when I finished the first book, I reached out to a bunch of authors who I respect and admire for just like some blurbs and stuff like that. And I was literally, I asked them like in a way that was like, Hey, uh, I have this new book. I'm going to put it out on my own. I'd really like to get a blurb from you or anything you want to write form it because uh i just respect you so much i love your and i give them you know i write a little bit about what they make that i so they know that i'm not just bullshitting them uh, but i told them like you don't even have to read the manuscript or anything you can just you could just say hey this is a piece of shit don't buy this book or uh or just send like a grocery list or something just anything from you would would be amazing and i'll print it on the back of my book and andy weir who wrote project hail mary sent me a really beautiful little uh blurb that's actually on the back of the book and um yeah it was like a two-day turnaround too like i emailed him on a friday and on a sunday i got an email back from him like it was not like a i'm having to wait weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks it was such a it was such an amazing wonderful like and the the thing that he gave me was so uh funny and and cool and uh, I just, I love that guy so much. He's such a great writer and I, I just feel very lucky that I got that to throw on the back of my book. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to out you with the, uh, the secret contents of the, uh, David Sedaris postcard. No, uh, no, no, that's fine. That's did, did you say it? Awesome. I don't know if you said it or not. I didn't, hear I, it. I didn't say it. I yeah. didn't, I wanted you to tell the story. I'm, I'm glad I didn't tell the story for you because then I'd have, that's even more editing that I would have to do here. No, oh, no. I mean, yeah, I don't I, care, but I just, I didn't because, uh, he said he in the uh, it's just in the postcard. It says, don't quote me on this. So I oh, haven't okay. been telling anybody that because I don't want to like he was. It wasn't that he was not encouraging. Uh, he was encouraging. Right. Uh, but uh, he said, don't quote me on this. So I haven't quoted him on it. But it was right. nice to have that that he sent that to me. And the little bit of advice that he gave me in the postcard was really great. And so I just uh and I love him. Like he That's, was my first, like, uh, I think if my first author where I was like, Oh, I think I'm a, I'm a fan of David Sedaris. I was like, yeah. And this is before I read King or anybody else. I, th I was like, this is my guy. David Sedaris is my guy. I remember reading, have you read any of his stuff? Oh yeah. Me talk yeah, pretty I, I really one day. Like... I, I read oh, that come on. and I was just, I was dying laughing like out loud at, and it was the first time I'd ever laughed at, a, the written word you know uh and i was just like oh this guy's fucking on another level as far as like relating to people at least relating to me i just felt it so deeply and i, I became a lifelong fan yeah no he's a, he's a brilliant um storyteller for sure and it, it gives you some of the most satisfying story endings possible you know you just got a a, a lovely way of of wrapping it up yeah he wraps it up well i think i think you do that too i think your stuff reminds me a lot of his stuff because that's what i loved about his stuff was like that's what made me feel like i could write my own stuff even though the first thing that i released was fiction like i've written way more personal essay non-fiction or creative non-fiction type mm -hmm. stuff than i have anything fiction and it's all because of david sedaris like him writing about just the mundanity of his life and the way that he wrote it was so engrossing it made me understand that like you don't have to have this incredibly 
fascinating, well-traveled, well-lived life to tell a good story. Like you can tell a story about, you know, shitting yourself in public or, or, you know, uh, taking a road trip with a family member who you don't really enjoy being around that much or whatever it is. Like it could be anything from your life as long as it's funny or uh, interesting. Like you, you can tell people that story. And I, I've noticed, I think that's what I love most about him. Yeah. The thing that I noticed and, and liked about him other than the, the wrapping up bit is that he clearly asks good questions of, I mean, questions kind of everything, but he asks interesting questions of moments of people of himself. He's just an interrogator of kind of rare inquisitive or just like curious, you know, just curiosity that, um, and that shows, shows in what he's doing, you know, that it's, he, he writes like someone asking questions, which I, I, I think is a, uh, is a very cool skill to do, to have, you know, it's not like he's giving you answers. He's giving you questions or what he found yeah. in the question that he asked which is, um, you know, even a lot of his, um, simile and his metaphor are funny answers to even funnier questions, which I really, I think is such a cool, cool way to get along. I mean, writing and just being, being the kind of person who's that curious and that willing to, to find a, to find the good question. You ever, you ever, been around I mean, i'm sure through the house of blues you're around like someone famous or someone who you know uh you've you've seen on television or maybe you even admired and you're like what do i even say so you just say nothing oh ever, dude i have a great story would you like yeah, to hear one yeah, about would, one yeah. of my i met one of my greatest idols yes uh so i met a lot of people doing stand-up especially producing shows for the house of blues i got to like i got to hang out with some of my favorite comedians like hang out like not just like hey nice to meet you like i got to go have tacos with bill burr and talk about breaking bad because he was in it at the time and 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 he was doing a, a movie with kevin costner and so i got to go hang out at like in front of the stage while he's opening for kevin costner and he comes down and immediately comes to me and he's like oh that fucking sucked because it was Kevin Costner's audience who was there to see Kevin Costner play music and Bill Burr's just like doing some comedy beforehand. So I got to have like these really like incredible moments with these, some of my biggest like, um, idols, but my, the most heart wrenching one was, uh, Rob Reiner had come to the house of blues to scout it as a location. And you know, like you remember working there, we're not allowed to like talk to them really, you know, right. You're not allowed like any of the bands that come through. If you ask them for an autograph or to take a picture or anything like that, it's almost like immediate termination. If you do that kind of shit. And I was lucky with the comedy show because these comedians were coming to my show to do my show. Like, so they had to go through me, they would do the show. I'd bring them up. We'd hang out usually afterward, but Rob Reiner was just coming to the house of blues to scout it for a location, but he's coming up and my, I'm like, Holy shit. That's Rob Reiner. That's fucking, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched the princess bride or when Harry met Sally, 
Like these are mm-hmm. like, those are like two of my favorite movies in the whole world, you know, not to mention just like, you know, I'd watch all in the family with my parents when I was a kid. And so like Rob Reiner right. has loomed large in my life for a long, long time. Probably one of my favorite directors. He is, he is one of my favorite directors. And so he's coming up and I see him and I'm like, I got to fucking say something. It's Rob Reiner. Right. So he passes and I, I'm like, Hey, Mr. Reiner, I just, uh, and he turns around. I'm like, Hey, how you doing? He's like, Hey, how are you? I'm like, I'm doing good. I just, I just had to tell you, man, I'm just, I, I'm such a big fan of your work. I like, I've, I've admired what you've done since I was a kid. Like I just had to tell you that, uh, or, or I'd kill myself if I didn't say something to you. And then he looks at me, uh, with like a level of like not giving a shit that I can't describe right now. And he kind of just goes, ah, uh, don't kill yourself. But it didn't look like he really meant it. Like he really would <laughs> give a shit if I did kill myself. It was the most like deflating thing. And then he just walked away. And I was like, oh, that was, I shouldn't have fucking said anything. Cause he wasn't mean or anything, but it was very right, much right. like, I don't, I don't fucking give a shit, dude. <laughs> Like, oh, well, there's, well, don't fucking kill yourself. There's your next book title. Rob Reiner doesn't care if I kill myself or doesn't care if I live <laughs> or die. <laughs> I I really think he doesn't, though. You know, I don't I think mean, he does. He was pretty. It was pretty apparent. Can you imagine I don't him? Blame him. Can you be- picture him telling that story right now? Uh, no, I doubt he even remembers it happened. Exactly. <laughs> I can't picture him. I can't picture so, him even thinking about it once he passed through the doorway. Yeah. So he definitely doesn't care if you live or die. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. You, that's proof. And you could tell because the man's not a bad actor. You could definitely <laughs> tell that he did not give a <laughs> shit. It's like, oh, don't, don't kill yourself. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It was so flippant. Uh, that was my favorite. That was the I one think, where I was like, ugh, you shouldn't meet your heroes because they don't give a shit if you meet them. They do not give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's a funny thing, man. A lot of people freeze and say nothing, which I think is a perfectly appropriate thing. You know, I always want to thank someone because, you know, they've been a part of your life and I think they, they get that, but you know, less is more. That's for sure. <laughs> less I have another more. good story. I, I, that just popped into my head that I remembered. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of the opposite of that. It was like I, I knew that he didn't give a shit at all, but he was so charming that I couldn't tell. Uh, and that was Brad Pitt. Oh, he, yeah. He came to the House of Blues and uh, it was uh, they were having a rap party for um, it was like Seth Rogen's. You remember This is the End or whatever that movie he did with all the oh, Jonah yeah, Hill yeah. and everybody's in it. So they're yeah. doing the rap party at the House of Blues and I'm working that. And Brad Pitt comes in and everybody's like, holy shit, Brad Pitt's here. He's like, he's got like an orbit of like 12 people around him who are kind of like mm-hmm. keeping, keeping people away from Brad Pitt. Um, yeah. But there is a moment where I'm passing through the crowd and I'm not looking for Brad Pitt. I'm not looking for any celebrities. I'm trying to get from one bar to the next bar because they need ice or something like that. I can't remember what it was. And I'm, and it's so packed in there um, that there's just, you know, it's just like, it's just bodies and it's like being at a concert, but it's in the restaurant, you know? So I'm, I'm snaking through the restaurant and all of a sudden I'm like stopped by a wall of people. And I look up and literally like nose to nose, I see Brad Pitt and he's like looking right in my face, looking very much like Brad Pitt looks in real life. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Holy shit. 
Hey, I didn't know you were going to be here, uh, you know? And, uh, and he's like, yeah, man, I'm looking for Jonah. Like I'm Jonah Hill's buddy. I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't know if he's here. And he, and I don't know if I stuck my hand out or if he stuck his hand out, but we shook hands and I patted him on the shoulder and I'm not kidding. And nobody believes me when I say this, and I fucking swear to God, I swear on my mother and my father and my brother and every family member that I have and my kids, I, that as soon as I touched him, there was like a physical vibration that I felt like, you know, you know, like when you touch a washing machine, when it's like uh-huh. at the end of the cycle where it's going like, zzz, yeah, there yeah. was like a buzzing harmony, like just radiating off of this man's Whoa. physical body when I touched it. And I was like, and after, you know, it was literally like it happened two seconds like hey how you doing hey is jonah here no i don't think he's here shake hands touch arm and i would and when i pulled away i was like oh that must be star power that must be the thing that it is like that is a physical thing that is radiating from this man i felt it with my own body um and that was a and and he was very nice and smiley and and he did not look like he wanted me to kill myself so that was nice very uh, handsome too I, I love that, man. The, the the idea of celebrity and and you know power and well known stuff is so funny to me because you know they are they are just folks. You know they're just just a dude who uh, who knows. I mean maybe there is like some special thing. But uh, I'll give you one story, and I think we should probably wrap this thing up because we're you know we're damn near an hour and a half into this this guy. Jeez. Oh, but I I feel I would feel. I would kill myself if I didn't tell you the story. Oh, don't kill oh, yourself. Don't kill yourself. I, uh, I went to go see, I was working in like um, renewable energy uh, back in uh, early 2000s in Memphis. And uh, I lived in, I lived in Memphis and it was the release party of um, Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth. It was the opening, opening night. And uh, it was in Nashville. And the the nonprofit that I was running, uh, or the the uh, my end of the nonprofit was in, in, in Memphis, and the the head office was in Nashville. And they're like, "Hey, we got we got tickets, man. You should come. You should come." So like I I left Memphis. It's like a three hour drive, three and a half hours. I leave Memphis. I'm hungry when I leave. Right, three hours. Didn't get anything to eat. Made it just in time, and I got a bag of popcorn. Right, sit down, watch this whole movie. And I'm just, by the end, I'm just starving. So hungry. Like, mm-hmm. was way hungry when I left. Extremely hungry by the time it's over. And they're like, hey, there's a there's a rap party or like a, you know, a celebration across the street. Everybody's going. And Al Gore invited everybody. He's like, hey, we rented out the restaurant next door. Come on over. And uh, so I show up a little bit late. And I don't know if you've, you've been to these parties. No one eats, man. There's like all this fucking food and no one's touching it. Yeah. What the hell? But it was in a um in this like shotgun of a building in Nashville. And the food is in the very, very back, and I'm in the entrance is in the very, very front. And it's like your story. It's a throng of people between me and the food. Like, fuck. And of course, I'm, you know, you've been around me. I'm a tall guy. I can see over everyone's head, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm just like navigating this cat crowd, crowd, crowd. And then people are kind of they stand in front of you, so you take a bit, uh, left and a right and of course, I walk 
right up. There's a, a line of people waiting to talk to Al Gore, but I just get right up next to him. And he turns around and looks at me. I'm a little bit taller than he is, but he's kind of a big guy. He's like a hefty dude. And uh, so like I get right next to him and he's in my way. And I could, if he just would move over a little bit, I could get, I'm like almost there. So I tap him on the shoulder and he turns around and I've got one of my coworkers is behind me. He's like, holy shit, Andrew's going to meet Al Gore. This is awesome. He turns around. I'm like, and he puts out his hand. He's like, hey there. I'm like, hi. And I shake his hand. I'm like, excuse me. And I just give a little bit of a push you know, just so, to, to let him know I'm passing through. And he moves mm-hmm. and lets me through and like the seas part. Everybody's just floored in his face. Like whatever face you made to Rob Reiner was the face that <laughs> this <fucking laughs> Al Gore was so flummoxed. I was I had really long hair. I was like wearing a suit. I'm sure I looked kind of unusual, you know, and oh. I was tall, you know, like this big, tall, long haired dude comes up looking like he's going to say something important. And I just said, oh, excuse me, if I could just... <laughs> Just gotta get to the back. meatballs right here. Goddamn pigs in a blanket. And <laughs> my friend was so he stood there with Al Gore. He's like, "Hi, I'm Dave." You know, introduced himself and talked to Al Gore. He's like, "I cannot believe what I just watched you do." Like, it didn't even. I didn't even think about it. It was just like, "Oh, look at that, Al Gore." Can you move? I didn't congratulate him on the film. I didn't say a fucking thing other than, oh, "Excuse me." But while while shaking his hand because he outstretched his because he felt like you know that's what i was coming to do <laughs> just, yeah yeah that's what he thinks is yeah oh we're pressing the flesh here oh he's actually just pushing me out of the way okay he it just was, wants uh, uh these these hors d'oeuvres hors d'oeuvres that's funny yeah so it's, hey al uh, big fan of the internet thanks man yeah good work <laughs> good job did you also invent these pigs in a blanket mm, tasty <laughs> did you yeah did you make these too these are great yeah you're nailing it, uh, Al. Yeah. Yeah. Celebrity, so man. Celebrity. Well, I oh, hope man. you become a celebrity, man. I hope you're, you're, I hope someone, more people discover High Moon and that uh, I just good want them to read the book. I don't, I don't even, I don't care if they know who I am anymore. I just want, I just want people to read the books. Yeah. It's good, uh, man. It's good. Yeah. And I hope the next one comes out sooner rather than later and that you just keep on, keep on doing it, man. I appreciate you, man. You too. I can't wait for your follow up too. Well, it's, I'm 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 chasing it. That's for sure. I'm I'm hard at it. How far are you in? If you don't mind me asking, before we get out of here. Well, I have to pick. I've got three different things in the air right now, and I just got to pick one. Um, and I'm I'm a few months of writing, uh, maybe a few months of rewriting, and then you know publishing one of those three things. So. Probably I, I could I could have another book out by next year if I'm if I stay on it. If all goes well. Well, I will definitely be getting a copy whenever it comes out. Sweet, man. Sweet. All right. Well, uh hey, is there right, anything man. um people should go look at of yours? Oh yes. Uh please go to my website, leonblanda.com. Uh you can get the book there. There's t shirts and coffee mugs if you're so inclined, but get the book. Uh, I also have a little blog that I write some uh, silly stuff on and um, there's a, uh, you could sign up for the newsletter, which I don't send out regularly. It's just uh, when I have something to tell you about, whether it's a new story I want you to read or something like that. So it's not like I'm bugging you all the time. Please do that. 
Um, that's all I got. Yeah. All right, man. All right, bud. Hey friends, did you like that episode? I sure did. If you're enjoying this program, you can support it by giving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you have the opportunity to do so. You can also send us a note at rbwpod.com forward slash contact. We'd love to hear from you with any questions, concerns, requests, story ideas, recipes, bogus fortunes, or apolitical rants. As always, if you got a story to share, we want to hear it. So wishing you and yours the very best of everything and less than average amounts of bullshit. Until next time.